Lord, speak to us. Bless your word this morning. Let it take root in our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a young couple, and they're very much in love. Any young couples very much in love? Two couples. Three. Four. All right. All right. Four couples very much in love here in the church today. Amen. So you got these young couple very much in love, and they're getting married, and they're at the church, and the bride is super nervous. She's anxiety, she's stressed, you know, she's nervous, you know, she's sweat, starting to sweat, and she doesn't want to sweat because then the makeup runs, right? And then the makeup runs, and then her dress can get dirty. I mean, it's a big, it's a big thing. So they got there walking around and trying to fan her, you know, trying to keep her from sweating and trying to keep her from all that. She's nervous, and she tells the pastor, like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to hyperventilate. This and, that. and the pastor says, just calm down. He's like, I want to give you a verse of encouragement. And he says, 1 John 4.8 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, at this moment, the bride's like, ah, thank you, pastor. That kind of helped. I'm still a little nervous. Now, the preacher thought it'd be a good idea to ask the best man to read this verse in the actual wedding ceremony. You know how the best man is standing like real close? So he asked the best man to read this verse. Now, the, pre- the pastor didn't know that the best man was not a churchgoer, right? So the, the best man didn't know that there was a difference between the gospel of John and the first letter of John, right? So when he told him to read John 4, 18, this best man um, ended up opening the service. He says, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, um, thank you guys for coming. And I guess the best man had a part in the ceremony. That's weird. But in this case, he did. He says, you know, before we begin in the ceremony, the pastor thought that it was uh, a great idea for me to read this verse for the bride. I'm reading this verse for the bride, um, and then he'll explain it later. He goes, so I'm going to turn to John 4.18, and I want to read what the pastor says uh, is a good idea to read for the bride. John 14, 18 says, the fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Well, that's a story gone bad. This morning, we continue our sermon series titled Storytime. And today's title is The Wedding Invite. The Wedding Invite. Um, We're going to learn how when God sends a wedding, when the Lord delivers an invitation, um, he delivers it to every person. Every person's invited. You know, you don't have to feel uh, left out. Every person's invited. And um, the thing is that he expects our attendance. You know how it is when you get a wedding invitation, um, they give you the option to RSVP. Or they say, if you can't make it, um, please keep us, you know, in your prayers and things like that. We you know, um, join us. It says something like, join us through uh, prayer and thought or something like that. The thing with God's invitation is that if you're unable to attend the marriage of the Lamb, then you're pretty much going to just die. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yo. Thank you, Erica. Erica's the only one that kind of found that a little funny. Everybody's like, die? What's all this about? Okay, let's dig into the scripture. We're going to talk about that today. Um, We're going to discover that um, a message about the greatest wedding of all time. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 3. Matthew uh, chapter 22, verse 1 to 3. Um, We're going to keep going through, um, you know, just kind of three verses at a time as we get through this parable. Um, But if if you are not aware, story time, the series of story time is taking the parables of Jesus and kind of just breaking them down. Some sermons might be more of a teaching to understand what parables, what the parable actually meant and why Jesus is saying it. Um, And some will be more, you know, uh, uh, relevant to some things that we're going through in life. So 
Matthew 22, 1 to 3 says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. And he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. This parable is packed with symbolism, right? It's packed with symbolism. And so what we want to do is we want to break down the characters of the parable. And, and so who does each person in this parable represent? And if we can understand who they represent, then we get the greater meaning of the parable at the end. So um, the first thing is, who does the king represent? The king represents God. God who sends out a call. God who sends out an invitation, right? To the people who live for him and honor him all of, in all of life. If his invitation is accepted and followed, then those who obey will be allowed to enter into the wedding. Now, uh, he's throwing a, a wedding for his son. Who is his son? Anybody know? Jesus, right? The wedding represents, the wedding is symbolic of the day when Christ returns and all those who are perfected in him and obedient to God will join him. We see in this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 to 9, it speaks of, can I tell you guys for the first time, like, I, I I didn't realize this was a thing, and I kind of heard it, but I never got confronted with it. But in the mall yesterday, somebody was like, um, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I was like, amen, yeah, go ahead. Can we talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, yeah, sure, talk to me for a minute. And, and, and so I'm there, you know, and they're like, uh, you know, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? And, this, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's son of God. And, uh, uh, well, he is God. Like, yeah, I know, he's, he's son of God, he's God, you know, Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, Trinity, even though Trinity's not in the Bible. And I'm having this conversation with them. Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay, okay. And, and, and you know, God, Jesus is coming back for his church. You're right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 but he came back already. I'm like, no, no, he, I know he came and he died for our sins. And we're waiting on the return of Christ to, to, so that he will take his bride. And he said, no, no, he already came the second time. And I was like, What? And, I'm, and so I said, okay, well, can you show me in the scriptures where, where, where why, how would you, why would you think that? And then so he turned to a, a couple of chapters and a couple of verses in, in, in Revelation. And, and they took something that John is saying there and they're kind of twisting it and based around the restoration of Jerusalem. And they're, and they're trying to, 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 to insinuate that during the restoration of Jerusalem, this is when Jesus came back the second time. Not to, to, cut, to make it short. And I said, okay, okay, can you, can you show me, show, but show me, show me more in the Bible that talks about Christ coming back. They said, why do you need to know more? I was like, because when he came the first time, we got four gospels that talk about Christ being here, his life here, what he did, what he taught, and his sacrifice. And I said, I said, so if he came back again, I doubt there's just going to be one verse that can be manipulated in a way to assume that perhaps they're talking about a second coming of Christ. Um, eventually, he got frustrated, and, and he, 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 he ended it like this. So when do you go to church? I said, I go on Sundays. Oh, what does the Bible say? To observe the Sabbath. I was like, I know, and I'm observing the Sabbath on Sunday. Oh, but the Sabbath is Saturday. I was like, true, but I, 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 the original Sabbath was on a Saturday. The Jews uh, would observe a Sabbath on, uh, on Saturday. I was like, I'm not a Jew, you know, um, but they're like, but the Bible says to observe the Sabbath. So like I'm observing on Sunday, the day that I, that, you know, I put aside. Oh, the day you put aside? Okay, thank you. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I want to choke this dude. I want to choke this dude. You know, because, uh, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm sidetracking, sidetracking. So he goes and he speaks about this wedding. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and, it for, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright and for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage. Supper of the lamb. And he said to me, true are, uh, these are true sayings of God. The bride, although it's not mentioned like that in this text, is the New Jerusalem comprised of the citizenship of believers. 
all of those who have experienced salvation and are committed to Christ. We, if we have professed Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are the bride. Amen? Amen. All right. Revelation 22, uh, 21, 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 3, we see how, in verse 3 of uh, Matthew, the, the, our text in Matthew, we see how the king sent out servants, right, to call the guests. However, the guests refused the invitation. They refused the invitation. And, and, and so um, who do the servants represent? The classic interpretation of this is that the servants represent um, the prophets. They were messengers of God, right? If, if the king is God and he's sending out servants that are speaking his invitation, then those were the prophets that were, went, were sent out. Um, and they were sent out to the people. Now, the identity, now that we know the identity of the servants, then who do the guests represent? The guests represent, and they're symbolic of God's chosen people, the Jews, right? And so um, I want I I to touch on this chosen terminology, all right? I, wa- I want us to understand something. So the Jewish people are termed as chosen, right? And what I want us to understand is that what it, what it really what it really means is that they were God's invited people first. Okay? They were God's invited people, and so they were the first to be invited into the kingdom. And remember that because we're going to touch on that a little bit more. Okay, this might, this, like I said, this is kind of like a little teaching this morning, but remember that. Second Chronicle 36, 15 to 16 says, the Lord the God of their ancestors repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. In these verses, we see how the Lord sent out servants, the prophets, in order to extend an invitation to his people so they can live in holiness, right? And um, we see how Israel rejected this invitation. They rejected the invitation. Okay, let's keep going. We know God, uh, King, God, Son, Jesus, uh, servants are our prophets, and then the guests, invited guests are the, the Jews, So what did the Lord do after the invitation was refused? Matthew 22, verse 4 to 7, the next three verses say, again, he sent out other servants. Man, we serve a loving God. Again, again, they refused it. Again, he sent out servants saying to those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen are fatted. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about this, when the king heard about this, about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed the murderers, and burned up their city. Verse 4 shows how, again, God sends out the servants, even though the message, the invitation was refused the first time. He sends out the prophets to plead with his people. Now, these prophets, you know, in, 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 the, in the parable, uh, likely are similar to prophets like John the Baptist, even Jesus. Because we see here, like Jesus, you know, John the Baptist declared the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Jesus, God's one and only son, came to reveal the one true way to heaven. But what happened to both John and Jesus? What happened? Crucified, beheaded. John the Baptist was beheaded. 
and his head was delivered to the daughter of Herodias. And Jesus was beaten, mocked, and crucified. In verse 5, the invited guests, the Jews, refused to acknowledge the Lord's invitation. One went to his farm and one went to a business. In the parable of the Great Supper that we see paralleled, you know, um, in the book of Luke, it go, Jesus kind of reveals some of their excuses for not attending. And I want us to turn to Luke chapter 14, 18 to, uh, to 20. It says, but they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. <laughs> Please excuse me. The other said, I just got married, so I can't come. Why were all these excuses made? I mean, you could tell these are just lame excuses. Why were these excuses made? They were made because God's people had slacked off in their devotion to him. And they didn't feel the need. They didn't feel the need to dedicate as much time to worship. They didn't feel the need to dedicate their time. Many became so devoted to their work. That's a problem with some of us that we feel today. We get so caught up with our work that our lives with God suffer. We get so caught up with, you know, you know how they say, I mean, there's new terminologies every day, but there was a time that they would say chasing paper. It's, and that might be old already. Secure the bag? Secure the bag? That's, oh, okay. That's what it's about now. <laughs> That's what it's about. Just chasing it. Everything you do putting so much time of your life, just trying to, to just, that's your only goal. You're so devoted to your work. You're so devoted to building up um, earthly things that our lives and our relationship with the Father suffer. It suffers. Others became preoccupied with new toys. I mean, back then, it was a version of 2023 fresh oxen. They had, they, they were, they had blinged out hooves, you know, or something. And so he said he wanted to try out this new, this new thing. He wanted to try out something new. I mean, what do you, how are you going to try it out? Why would you buy something? And not, first of all, I, I know I did a, I remember in the past I, when I, 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 I taught a little bit about this, we, we went into some of the things specifically of the excuses, like why are you going to try something after you buy it, Right? He said, I just bought some oxen. I'm going to go try them. Um, please don't try oxen after you've bought them. Okay? Make sure you're getting a good deal. <laughs> but some of us are so occupied with new toys. New toys, you know, and what do toys look like these days? Toys look like cars. They look like, you know, you know material things. They look like things that cost a lot of money. You know, in, in this church, there's a lot of people that toys uh, shoot bullets. You know, and, and so it's an, expensive, it's an expensive hobby. It's an expensive hobby. Some of y'all know. I've seen some of y'all collections. Some of them love their family more than they loved God. This is rough. Because, you know, we'd be like, nah, my blood, blood is thicker than water. We say that, right? Or we say, no, family first. I'll die for my family. Okay, good. I mean, I hope, I hope you would, but you, you do know, would you die for Christ too? Would you die for Christ first? Well, nah, I mean, I mean, I mean if I don't have to, I'll try not to. We're so quick to say that we would die for our family and we would hesitate to say we would die for Christ. When he said, oh, you know, I, gotta, you know, I, I just got married. You know, it's representation of, of, of relationship, of family. And some of us are putting relationships and family before God. We know, and I know sometimes we argue the order, but the, the, the reality is individually our relationship with God has to come first. It has to. 
My wife doesn't get jealous because I love God more than I love her. She doesn't get jealous for that. Actually, it makes her love me more to know that I love God more than I love her. And it should be the same. I know she loves God more than she loves me. And it makes me love her more because I know she loves God more than she loves me. What, does, what did the Lord do to those who failed to obey him? Verse 7 says that he sent out his armies. He destroyed the murderers and burned up the city. The city of God's chosen people is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. In Matthew, if you were to read Matthew chapter 24, between verses 15 and 21, there's a reference there about the destruction of the holy city. Jerusalem. And um, if you go back in history, right, 70 AD, you can see that history records that Rome went into Jerusalem and destroyed it, just as Jesus had prophesied that would happen. So let's continue. Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 to 10 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, as many as you find, invite into the wedding. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. In verse 8, we see how the first group of people, the invited people, those that were invited first, right? rejected the invitation. And in their rejection of the invitation, they made themselves unworthy before the Lord. Then, um, and that's why they were destroyed. Now, I stated earlier that God's chosen people, in fact, was the fact that they were first invited. They were invited, however, they didn't. Just because they were invited, it doesn't mean that they made it into the kingdom. People who are truly chosen are people that confess the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, both Jew or Gentile. Just because the Jews were invited first doesn't mean that they automatically are in the kingdom. And I want to explain something very important. Your invitation to the kingdom doesn't automatically get you to the kingdom. Do you understand that? Like if I give you this invitation, like for example, let's use the luncheon for example. You all are given the invitation. You have a responsibility to fill this out and to take it to Mrs. O. You have a role to play after you've been given this invitation. When we are given the invitation by God the Father, right, we have uh, a role to play in receiving it, uh, confessing Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, therefore accepting and going to the party. Okay. They needed to make a commitment to Christ. Any Jewish person who would choose to believe Jesus is the Messiah would also gain salvation and eternal life. You know what happens is this. Um, <laughs> I remember Kevin, as Kevin was growing up, as he got older, um, we would get invited to stuff as family, right? And we'd get one invitation. Like, oh, for you guys, be invited. And when Kevin had first moved out and he was on his own, we would still get one family invitation. And I remember Kevin be like, I mean, am I invited or not? I'm like, well, yeah, we were invited. He's like, yeah, but I don't even live with you guys. Like, I mean, am I, am I invited? And the thing is this, these inv- the invitation, the invitation that goes out to us all is, an, is a, a specific invitation for you. There's no doubt that someone else or this and that, it's for you. Therefore, I can't accept the invitation for Kevin. Parents, we can't accept the invitation for our children. What we can do for our teens and for our children is do our part by setting an example before them and to bring them and to instill with them this lifestyle. My wife and I, this morning, we were talking about this. Our upbringing was crucial to us being able to come back after rebelling against, you know, everything. I'm going to explain this to you. We were taken to church all the time. 
our parents and our grandparents, they would show us the example of what it looked like to be a man of God, a woman of God. So we saw the example, and we were taken, even if we wanted to go or we didn't want to go. Guess what? I lived in my parents' house. I did what my parents said. That's it. That's it. You know when I stopped doing what my dad wanted me to do? When I left. When I went on my own. And even then, I heard his voice in my head all the time. You shouldn't be doing that. That's what we do for our children. Because one day, our children grow up to be teenagers, and then our teenagers grow up to be young adults, and they have to make the, the, the decision for themselves. They have to accept the invitation. We can't. We can't. Just, doesn't, just being invited doesn't make you saved. It doesn't. You have to accept the invitation. Today, if anyone fails to accept the Lord's wedding invitation because they feel they have better things to do, if you fail to accept the invitation because you got to go try out your new oxen or you got a new business to attend to or you just getting married, meaning if you're in relationships that are pulling you away from God, you got better things to do than accept the invitation. If money or material things are more important than you, than accepting an invitation. If your work, you're, you're, you're so busy in life that you don't accept the invitation, church, the result of that is destruction. It's destruction. Do you know that there is no in-between? You can say, yes, I accept, right? Or you can be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be neutral right now. I ain't going to say yes. I ain't going to say no. Well, you know, not saying yes is saying no. If you're sitting here today, and, 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 you, and, and I know, I've known people like this. They'd be like, you know what? I'll accept Christ one day. I'll, accre- I'll accept Christ one day. I'll accept Christ one day. I'll accept Christ one day. Right now, the Holy Spirit is saying today's the day of salvation. That's what he's saying. Today is the day to make the decision to follow Christ. And some of you guys are like, I I know I need to dedicate my life. I know I got to get more serious with God. I know. But right now is not the time. So what you're doing is the invitation has been sent out. And you're not saying yes, which means you are saying no today. Verses 9 to 10 it's, uh, it, it, he, the king tells the servants to go find people wherever, they, wherever he could and invite them to attend the wedding. These verses symbolizes God's call to the Gentiles to enter his kingdom. Now we get invited too. Woo! Someone's like, man, why we got to be last though? Why, why, why we got to pick second? Why, you know, why, would we got, why we got to be last? If the Lord couldn't find guests amongst those who he invited first, then he opens the doors for guests that he invites that were last on his list. And some of us like, man, I'm never last. You ever, yo, you ever play sports and you get picked on teams? Now, I, I'm sorry, but never, it never happened to me ever, ever. But to get picked last must have felt really bad. You know, I mean, it, just, it, looks, it looks bad. I feel bad when somebody gets picked last, right? And if, I'm, and if I feel that I would be the one to get picked last, I'm playing with people too, too, too far up, you know, too skilled. If I'm in a group of guys and I look and I'm like, I think I might get picked last, I'm playing with wrong people. <laughs> but you know what? Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad that we were last on the list. Because in his word, he says that the first shall be and the last so we get bumped up on the line. We got bumped up the first class. That's an amazing feeling. Has that ever, has that ever happened to somebody? Your, your seat is all the way back in the plane, and something happens, and all of a sudden you're in first class? You were like, oh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. But, the, but do you understand the feeling? That feeling? Could you imagine being last but then be the first to enter the kingdom? That's awesome, Right? I want, I want to tell you guys a story within this story. There's a scenario here, and there's a woman that goes to church all the time. Let's call her uh, uh, Frida. Let's call her Frida. I know, we know Frida. We know Frida. Let's call her Frida. Frida goes to church all the time. 
And she, she believes that, you know, um, going to church is what saves someone. She believes that um, she's one of God's chosen people because she has never missed a Sunday and she does good deeds and she's always smiling. She's like, oh, <laughs> it's in the bag. I got this. I got this. However, the Lord, every Sunday that she's here, because she never missed a Sunday, so every Sunday that she's in the, in the temple, the Holy Spirit tugs at her heart. And the Holy Spirit is sending out the invitation. And he's saying, listen, I need more. I want relationship with you. I want more with you. And every week, she refuses that invitation. Because she believes, I mean, why, why, why do I need to do that? I'm already coming every Sunday. I smile. I do all the good things and nice things. I don't need that. I don't need this. Why does she think the way that she thinks? She realizes that a relationship, that a deeper commitment to Christ requires more time that she's willing to give. Listen, church, what I want to say with this. There are some of us in the body of Christ that we go through the motions, we check off the Sunday box, right? We smile when we need to smile. We do all the good deeds, and we think that that's what we have to do. And God is tugging at your heart, and he's saying, listen, all that means nothing to me if we have no relationship. It means nothing to me if we don't have this intimacy that I've been craving, right? And then some of us, we feel that tug on Sundays, but we don't want to give ourselves to Christ because then we know that we would have to commit more time and more devotion, and we'd actually have to read every day and pray every day, and you mean I actually got to... Uh, start studying the word, meaning maybe go to Bible study or, or maybe participate. I mean, I, I just don't have time for all that. So imagine that one Sunday morning, a man walks into the same church that she's in. Now, this guy, he's got long hair. You know, he's, got ta he's tatted up everywhere. And, you know, he's walking with a stroll. You know the, you know, the stroll? The stroll, you know? Right? And she looks, at, she looks at him, and she's like, uh, why is this guy even here? She's like, I'm glad I'm not like him. She goes, I'm glad I'm not like him because the Lord wouldn't allow me into heaven if I look like that. So at the end of the service, the altar call is extended, the music is playing, the worship team is singing, the Holy Spirit is moving, and all of a sudden, you see that, that man with the long hair and all the tats stroll all the way down to the altar, and he throws himself at the altar, and he surrenders his life to Christ. The woman, she looks at him, the woman looks at him, Frida, and she's like, well, I don't, go, but I don't know. He's still not going to make it looking like that. And that's all that she's thinking about. And what she's thinking in her mind is that a man like that looks that way shouldn't be admitted into the gates of heaven. So let's fast forward, and now they're both standing before the judgment seat. They're both standing before the judgment seat, and the Lord looks at the woman, and he says, all right, Frida, let's take a look here. Every Sunday, huh? Oh, good, good. Oh, Bible study. Oh, great, great. Oh, oh, good deeds. Okay, okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. All right. All right. Always smiling. Always a plus, right? Okay. All right. So tell me, Frida, why should I let you in to the kingdom? And she's like, well, well, well Jesus, um, you see my, uh, my resume. <laughs> you see my paperwork. You know, uh, it's all in there. It's all in there. You see it. You, you said it yourself. And he's like, okay, all right. And he turns and he looks at the man with the long hair and the tattoos and he says, so why should I, why should I let you into, oh, my bad. So he looks at his list and he's like, oh, pretty violent. Okay. All right. Uh, you didn't always say nice things. All right. All right. Okay. Prison a couple times. All right. Uh, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness. Ooh, ouch. This is, this is a lot of, this is not so good. 
So why should I let you into the kingdom? And the man looks at him and he says, you know what? Everything that you read there is true. But the reason I feel that I should be allowed into the kingdom is because I accepted your invitation and I received Jesus Christ into my heart. At that moment, <laughs> good answer, good answer. No, 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 no. Family feud? No? Good answer, good answer. Right, so he lets him in and he brings him into the kingdom. He goes back to the woman. <sighs> and he casted her into hell. Or rather, you know, her city was burned, right? She didn't make the cut because she never accepted the invitation. We can, be see- we can be seated in the church and still not have accepted the invitation. You could be doing a number of things in the name of the Lord. Oh, I do this, you know, I do this for God, I do this for God. But if you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you remain among the invited group. You're close, but you're not quite there. And if you don't accept the invitation and go, then you never arrive at the party. He doesn't care what we look like. He cares what's in our heart, right? For instance, the scribes and the Pharisees, they looked like they were worshiping God. They looked like they knew it all. They looked like it, right? They put on great shows of faith for the people to see. And when God accepted the Gentiles, all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees, they flipped out, right? They became appalled because the Gentiles were unworthy in their eyes. A person may appear less than perfect on the outside, but if they know Jesus Christ and they've accepted him as Lord and Savior, then they have heavenly riches that are beyond measure. And they will inherit a place in God's kingdom. In closing, I want to talk about the proper attire. Matthew 22 11 to 14. It says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Whoa. No wedding crashers here. I don't know if you've ever crashed a wedding. Has anyone crashed a wedding before? I saw the movie. I saw the movie? <laughs> I don't think I've ever crashed a wedding. I mean, I kind of knew somebody there and last minute decided to show up maybe. But I never crashed a stranger's wedding. We see a man in verse 11 without a wedding garment. Now, what, what is this wedding garment supposed to look like? What is this, right? Um, what is this garment that's required at the wedding of Jesus Christ and his bride? We should be, when we are washed by the blood of Christ, right? He cleanses us. Our garments, after, after the cleansing of the blood, are spotless, without blemish. The crazy thing is, if we ever get blood on us, on our clothes, it creates a stain. But the blood of Christ removes all spots and stains from us. So if we are washed by the blood, it makes us pure. Hence, you know, the imagery of like the white robes, right? The white robes that we are now wearing, perhaps the white garments that we're wearing to the wedding. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 said, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. 
Instead, she will be holy without any fault. So this guy didn't have a garment washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He must have used tide or gain or something else. But the king spotted him because he did not have on the wedding garments. In verse 13, because he didn't have on a wedding garment, because he wasn't saved by the blood of the lamb, he was cast into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're familiar with the word of God, this has been used in several other areas to describe what hell would be like. So in this parable, the man that's at the wedding without the garment will be cast into hell. Now, some of us that have been following the story are in your brain, you're saying, hmm, okay, we've established that the wedding means that the individual, when we're attending the wedding, means that an individual has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and is refusing God's invitation to the wedding means that a person has rejected him. So how did this man somehow arrive in the wedding, right, while being unsaved, and we know he was unsaved because he didn't have the wedding garment, which means he wasn't washed by the blood of the lamb, and then he was cast into hell. Now, there are different, there's a lot of, a lot of discussion on this. And um, I may not have a perfect answer for you. I, I, I don't know it all. But I want to say something about this. Something that I felt that God was leading me just to share with you as a result of this question here. There's a lot of lip service going on in the church today, in the body of Christ. Not, don't, not here, but like in the body of Christ. When I say lip service, it, what I mean is there's many Christians that say they've decided to follow Jesus. There's many people that say, I want to serve God. I want to follow him. But yet, but yet they haven't surrendered their lives. But, 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 but yet, there's different motives. But, but yet, they, they go through the motions and they put on this facade of, of, of Christianity when deep down inside, there's, there's rottenness and there's, there's just... We can fool one another. We can fool one another, but we can't fool the Lord. And I don't understand why you would try to fool each other in presenting yourself to be a Christian or a follower of Christ while truly not. Just do it then. You know how much work goes into playing a role? You know how much energy goes into faking who you truly are? Just do it. Why are we living lies? Because we're so concerned about pleasing people. That's why. We're so concerned about pleasing individuals that we play this role in front of individuals so we can be like, oh, Caesar's a cool guy, you know. He's a good man of God. But guess what, Caesar? I'm not going to be the one to be like, heaven, good. Hell, I'm not the guy that does that. You won't be seeing me on Judgment Day. I mean, you'll see me when you get in. I'll be here waiting for you like, what's up? But I'm not making decisions. Nobody here makes decisions, not that decision. So why are we trying to please one another instead of pleasing God the Father? And the thing is this. Okay. Matthew 7, 22, 23 says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this person that <laughs> obviously knows enough that they were able to say that they prophesied and they did this and they did miracles and this and that. And the day of judgment, I, I, I play this as a scene in my head and it's, it's someone on their knees begging, begging, but please get away from me. I never knew you. Verse 14, it reemphasizes the fact that many are called, but few are chosen. Many people are invited, but only few make the commitment to accept God's invitation to show up at the wedding. Church, can you stand with me this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're standing here today, today is the day that you give your life to him. Today is the day that you accept the invitation. The invitation is right here, right now. How much longer do we make excuses? How much longer are we going to continue with the distractions of, in our lives? If you have already accepted the invitation, right? If you're a Christian and is standing here today, think about your lives. Think about your walk with God. Be honest with yourself. Prayer, those that are on a prayer team, can you guys come up? Mark. We want to pray with you this morning. Those that have accepted Christ, I want you guys to really do a self-reflection. Look at your life. Are you devoting the time that you should be devoting in your relationship with God? You know, if we're completely honest with each other right now, then I believe 98% of us should be at the altar at this moment, including myself. I believe God wants more. He wants more of our life. He wants more of our, our relationship. He wants more of our attention. There's too many distractions in this world. It's just too much. We're distracted by things that are great and make us feel all nice and fuzzy. They bring us joy temporarily. But then we're also distracted by things that break our heart, that things that cause pain, that things, and so we find ourselves always distracted. I'm distracted by the good, or the apparent, or the, or the seemingly good things, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm distracted by the, the the horrible things that keep happening in my life. And, and so it's like God, I'm I'm going, I'm guys, I'm, I'm pastor, I'm going through something, and 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 it's hard for me to, to to really serve God right now. And then the opposite is like, oh man, I. Things just going so great for me right now. It's really hard to, to give my, you know, to focus on God right now. And then you have both sides. And God is like, when are you going to make time for me? Don't you know when things are going great in your life, I want to be by your side? I want to, I, I mean, I, I'm the one that's allowed these blessings in your life in the first place. At least let me go for the ride. I'm the one that gave you the Ferrari. Let me ride shotgun. And then when we're going through these hard times, he's like, you, it doesn't have to be so hard. I'm right here. Just hold my hand. I'll walk you through it. Are we being distracted? That's robbing us from devoting more time to the Lord. Though our salvation is secure in Christ, right? Keep in mind that the Lord despises the non-committed. That's a strong word. The Lord despises the non-committed so much that he destroyed his own holy city when the people refused to serve him. 
Did you, do you understand that? He wants your commitment. He doesn't want you to just check a box. He wants you to commit your life and to place him in the priority number one spot where he belongs in your life. Don't you know when he's number one, like him being number one in our lives creates this stable foundation. When the bad times come, when the good times come, it doesn't shake us. When the winds and the storms begin to, to hit, it doesn't shake us. We're like the palm tree, right? We bend with the wind like, oh man, but we stay rooted when he's our number one. Things that were designed to break us and hurt us won't break us because we're rooted in Christ. Today, if you're a believer and there are some things in your life that you have been struggling with or maybe there's some distractions in your life that you finally identified if it's a person if it's a relationship if it's if it's just a trial or a tribulation that you're going through right now that you it's just really affected you it's really affected your ability to just be free in your walk with God then I challenge you to take a step today take a step of faith come to the altar leave it at the altar allow God to remove that heavy weight that you've been carrying on your shoulders. If you've, if, if you've accepted the invitation, but then you haven't been a, a living a life that shows, if you've said the words, but have not lived the life, today is a day of reconciliation. Today, we can reconcile your life before the Lord. We can wipe the, the slate clean today and walk out of here a new creation. Father God, right now, look at the hearts of those that are sitting and standing here today. Father, you know the situations in their lives. You know, Father God, the areas of their hearts, Father, that need to be surrendered to you. Father, you know the hindrances and the distractions, Lord, that are taking us away from our fellowship with you, our intimacy with you. Father God, today I ask, Lord, that you help begin to remove those things, cancel those things, Father God, that we may be able to focus and lock our eyes on you. Father, I ask right now that you just pour your Holy Spirit out. Lord, a fresh anointing upon our church, a fresh anointing upon each and every person that's here, Lord, that you may empower them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to carry out the work for the kingdom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.